Hello, friends, nerds, librarians, and all you ilk. Uh, welcome to the SS Librarianship Podcast. We've got a bit of a doozy for you today. Yeah, we should kind of say especially librarians this time. Yeah, so just to kind of make up for the nerd alert last week, yeah. we're going... We make up for nothing. We're going hard librarian this time. <laughs> Um, a lot of what we're going to discuss about the sort of job hunting and application and interview process um, around library jobs is, I think, probably applicable to anyone yeah. who's looking for work, but we are tailoring it to our, mm-hmm. our fellow uh, budding librarians. Yeah, so. so because we have so many listeners who are new to the profession or who are still in school or who are just considering the profession, um, we've gotten a lot of requests, actually, to kind of do an episode about job hunting and what the job hunt looks like um, and um, what it entails for us. And so, I mean, we can speak to this a bit because we've had some success recently with Mm -hmm. job applications and we'll talk about that. But we also definitely want to hear from all of you, whether you're a new professional, whether Mm -hmm. you're someone in a hiring position. um, We want to keep this conversation going and see, you know, how much more advice we can give. Yeah, definitely. So I guess without further ado, let's just get this one started. I'm Allie Sullivan, and I'm away laughing on a fast camel. (laughs) And I'm Sam Mills, and I make Godot look punctual. Allie, what's on your mind, Grapes, this week? Well, I have been listening to another one of the podcasts on the Maximum Fun Network, mm-hmm. um, and it's a storytelling podcast. Actually, it's called Risk. Okay, yeah, yeah. it's it's a it's one of the bigger ones, and I they do a lot of for it on the other Max Fun. Yeah, podcasts. so it's um it's a storytelling one where the kind of the 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 tagline of it is you know stories you never thought you'd dare to share. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of uh, people telling stories about um, things they've they've done times they took risks or, or whatever and um it's um it's a really great podcast it gets a little tonal lip whiplashy sometimes mm. um because like some of the like there um so far i've never heard a story on there that i didn't like like all of the stories were really good some of them were like a little overly gross and sexual which doesn't interest me all <laughs> that much but um still kind of funny but like some of the stories are really hilarious and some of them are just like heart-wrenching mm. And uh, but they're all they're all really good and really well told. Um, like so, sort of one of my favorite stories on the heart wrenching varieties. There's actually a woman who's talking about when she went to North Korea. So her family is uh, is Korean, and her father escaped North Korea before the war when he was like 12. Mm. And um, so it's about how her father has since set up this kind of this this charity that's trying to help bring, you know, food and aid and things to North Korea. But it's also like those visits to North Korea are also kind of under a guise so that he can see his family. And um, it's just this amazing story. She's her father approached her one time and he says, listen, like. I'm getting older. I don't know how many more times I'm going to be able to do this. Both of your sisters have children, so you know they probably can't take the risks of going to North Korea. Will you come with me? Wow. And uh, so it's just this like incredible, insane story about the hoops that they jump through to get there and what happens when they get there. And oh, it was just like it was you know 
heart wrenching. <laughs> that's really yeah. That's kind of unexpected given the the promos for that show that I've heard. They really yeah. kind of keep it light in the promos, but they do keep it light it's in the nice promos. That they interpret risk in various ways. So that's yeah, that's really interesting. And um, you know, and there are like like keeping it light. There are a lot of really funny stories about little funny things that happen to people, and and uh, so I've been listening to that one uh, quite a lot. Uh, if you would like to get into it, the best ofs are actually a really great place to start. They have about six best of episodes because there's, you know, years and years of backlogged episodes of of the show. Um, but the best of ones really do pick out some really incredible stories. I'm pretty sure I heard that story on one of the best of um, best of risks. But yeah, it's 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 kind of one of those things. You just kind of got to listen to it. It's you can't really talk about it that much. You can't really internalize it. It's a mm-hmm. uh, it's it's storytelling it's 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 really cool it's it's an art form that i guess i'm yeah there are still not a ton of i mean there are podcasts like ours where people talk a lot yeah that's not the same as as storytelling storytelling. yeah and um it's also attached to um the fellow who runs the podcast also does a storytelling school so Mm. it there's also an element of that in there as well um so a lot of the stories especially in the most recent episodes are people who've actually gone through his sort of storytelling workshops and uh you know worked out these stories and, and now they're telling them so um yeah so whenever i'm on the bus or cleaning the house or whatever i've been i've been putting those ones on um it's it's really not quite scripted not quite stand up yeah it's an interesting yeah middle space Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i mean definitely there's you know trigger warnings ahoy like there's everything in there from you know abuse neglect and sexual themes and all kinds of stuff but um which is kind of one yeah. of the great things about the podcast medium as well is that you can go to places that other entertainment media can't. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's a really great podcast um, if you're if you're looking for something new to add to your to your playlists. And I kind of like it too because you don't feel like uh, because the stories are kind of these short little. I don't think any story they have a few long form, but no story is more than about. 15 or 20 minutes mm. so you can also kind of listen to it in these nice sort of segregated chunks and there's no need to you know listen to all of them in a row or anything like that to to yeah. get a hold on the characters but um but yeah kevin allison is the guy who uh puts together the stories and they they do a lot of live shows um all throughout the country and even uh, they've done a few in the uk recently so um yeah it's a fun one to check out Awesome. But uh, other than that, I've just been kind of (laughs) hanging around. What about you, Sam? What have you gotten into? Uh, I have been watching Extant and have been very pleasantly surprised by how into it I've gotten. Okay. There have been so many, like, sort of, I don't know, fits and starts of new sci-fi shows in the last little while. There's Revolution that didn't last that long Mm -hmm. and V that wasn't very good and didn't last that long. (laughs) Um, And X-Men is brand new and it's definitely like its initial run is supposed to be limited. It's a summer show. Uh, But it's been really quite good. Oh, cool. Uh, So the premise of the show is it's the near future. Um, They don't specify exactly when, but I'd say, you know, in the next 50, 75 years, something like that. And NASA's gone, but in its place is the ISEA, the International Space Exploration Agency. And Halle Berry, coming to TV, uh, plays an astronaut named Molly, I want to say Woods, I could Mm -hmm. be wrong, um, (laughs) who has just returned home from 13 months um, of a solo mission on the Seraphim station. So she was up there by herself for 13 months running experiments. Her, you know, she had some contact with home and she had an AI that was sort of running the station with her. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when she comes back, like moon, she goes for her checkup 
mm-hmm. uh, with the ISEA doctor who is played by the wonderful Cameron Mannheim, who I love. Um, <laughs> and her name is Sam and Sam and Molly are very good friends. And so the interplay between them is really interesting um, because when Sam does Molly's checkup, she discovers that she is 14 weeks pregnant. How? Even though she has been on a space station by herself for 13 months. So this is sort of the setup. Creepy. Right? Uh, so the little tagline, which um, people have been talking about, <laughs> because it sounds so similar to the one for Jurassic Park. Yeah. Um, And both of these are Steven Spielberg produced productions uh, is life always finds a way. Oh, gosh. (laughs) But it's interesting because so we've got this element of the pregnancy Mm -hmm. and she's dealing with this. And how could this possibly have happened? Her bosses at the ICA seem to know more about it than they're telling. Um, She and Sam aren't sure who to trust. At one point, they go and use some like medical equipment in a vet clinic because they don't trust the people at the agency. So there's Mm -hmm. sort of this element of intrigue to it uh, around what is potentially some sort of alien involvement. And then they also have this whole other element where her husband, played by Goran Vishnik from uh, ER is um, an AI and robotics specialist Mm -hmm. and has created these things called the Humanics. Okay. And the first one that he created in sort of a full form, um, he created it as a child. Mm -hmm. And his idea was that the AI would be developed not through sort of your standard um, rigorous planned out inputs in the lab, but through the sort of thousands and thousands of little everyday chaotic interactions that you get when you're part of a human family. So almost like a nature nurture thing. Exactly. Oh, cool. And so at the time when this thing was ready to be put with a family, he and Molly were trying to have a child and failing. Yeah. So this is the other element of this mysterious pregnancy is that she was also infertile uh, and is now mysteriously pregnant. So they decided... He decided, mostly, (laughs) as it turns out, um, to take in this child as their Mm -hmm. own. So they have this, like, robot kid. Weird. Who is actually kind of creepy. And the kid who plays him is doing a really good job. What do you mean a robot job. kid is creepy? <laughs> He's not, you know, like Haley Joel Osmond in AI level of creepy. <laughs> Another Steven Spielberg joint. But he's definitely, there's something a little off about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vishnik's character is just like full bore. The humanics are going to be like a new race that will live alongside humans. And there will be no difference between us and them. This is sort of his like mm. tagline for it all. Uh, and then there's all this other com- complexity in sort of their their relationships. Um, she's been away for 13 months. They had adopted this little robot kid not too long before that. And so mm-hmm. she has kind of a fraught relationship with the kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a woman who works with her husband and worked with him on developing um, the, this robot. And it's interesting because at first you assume they're doing a well his cute lab assistant Julie is jealous of his wife, but actually she doesn't care about the wife. Mm-hmm. She's jealous because she this robot kid. has been taken away from her ah. and she sees him as her child almost. Yeah. And so that's a really interesting relationship too. That they're mm-hmm. spinning. Um, so they've got all this stuff going on. Like there's the potential for both an alien plot and yeah. a robot plot possibly wow. at the same time. Uh, Emily and Leon are apparently taking bets on whether the <laughs> robots are going to attack the humans and then the humans are going to be saved by aliens okay. or the aliens are going to attack the humans and then the robots are going to save the humans and then huh. maybe take over. Like there's all these sort of elements in play, which makes it really fascinating. Did to the watch. husband work on the AI that exists on the Seraphim station? I don't think so. Okay. Although that's an interesting question. Cause I've, I'm thinking it's a, it's a robot baby. Oh, uh, 
That's that's where I'm going to go with it. <laughs> Having seen zero minutes of this show. <laughs> <laughs> having the premise outlined no, to me that could... I'm my money if you talk to Emily and Liam my money is on robot baby <laughs> yeah there's a third way yeah uh, um so there's only been three episodes so a lot of this is speculation but the fact that you know we're into it and we're thinking about it this much says something yeah. about it I think the other really neat thing besides the the really interesting female characters and their relationships with each other as scientists as people as you know employees of this shady organization um is also that the the world building is so well done oh good i mean that's very it's a very spielberg thing like i'm sure yeah, he had a hand yeah. in it uh, as like producer of the show but there's these little touches like i was telling you guys earlier about um there's a scene where where halle berry's character is making breakfast mm -hmm. and she pulls the eggs out of the carton and sets them down on the counter they have flat bottoms and so it's just this moment. So it was like a genetically yeah. modified flat bottom egg. But it's just like, egg. well, we made these eggs to be convenient, right? <laughs> and uh, and their little their little like iPhone style phones that they carry with mm -hmm. them are definitely they're a lot thinner. They're a lot more um, sort of intuitive looking, yeah. uh, and that's really neat. But they still sort of carry them with them. So it's obviously the near future. It's the double um, in the details kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. They've got yeah. these AIs, not just the one on the space station, but there seems to also be one in each house. Okay. So they actually, at one point, leave the kid with the AI as basically a babysitter. Oh, that's creepy. And um, it also does things like if a call is coming into the house, it'll interpret who the call is for. Mm -hmm. And then it'll say, you know, Molly, you have a call from Sam or whatever. And you can right. decide to pick it up. All of the, and this is my dream about the future, all of the windows mm -hmm. in the house are actually touch screens and you can bring things up on them at oh. any time. But it's really very cool. sort of in the background. It still looks like a normal sort of house. Mm -hmm. um, at one point, the kids go to a museum for a birthday party. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene there with her and her son. And there are holograms as part of the exhibits. So it's still very much exhibits that we would recognize, but mm -hmm. the, the creatures sort of come out towards the kids a bit yeah. and freak them out. And it's, again, it's these, these small touches in the background that are really, really neat. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so I've been very much enjoying it. Um, well, we need a new sci-fi show. I hope it lasts because yeah. it's very cool. And I love the, you know, the female lead aspect of it is very mm -hmm. appealing too. Oh, well, that's awesome. And Halle Berry's hair. Oh, my God. I <sighs> want to chop mine off now. <laughs> I'm going to go for the, the spiky pixie cut. <laughs> but, yeah, I would highly recommend checking out the first three episodes. They're pretty easily accessible in various formats. And sure. um, I think it's maybe supposed to have, like, 10 or 12 episodes before the summer's out. But mm -hmm. I'm hoping it might last beyond that as well. So. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I guess just a short little mind grapes for you guys this mm -hmm. week because uh, we, we, we got into it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Fasten your seatbelts for yeah. this, this next segment. <laughs> this week's class Z is all about. Uh, well, we, we, we're talking about Canadian jobs here, so yeah. really, it's got to be a class Z. <sighs> uh, it's all about job searching. Yeah, job search strategies, interview strategies, partially because. We have both had some luck in those particular arenas lately, <laughs> and so we want to share what our experiences have been like and anything that we think helped us secure the employment that we've gotten. Yeah, I um, was. I had a very good week a couple of a couple of weeks ago <laughs> because I went from having no jobs on Sunday to one job on Monday to two jobs on Wednesday. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So I guess this is kind of the official SS librarianship announcement of, uh, you know, we are both now gainfully employed. Uh, yeah, at the same two libraries. Which which is kind of hilarious, <laughs> really. Like, like, there was a pretty early comment, and I can't remember who made it now, but about, you know, making sure that the content of the show stayed <laughs> diverse <laughs> and multivaried. <laughs> well, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so and it's an interesting mix as well because we've we're now both on the auxiliary, so like on call list at the Vancouver Public Library, mm-hmm. as well as having a couple or in your case a few shifts a week at um, Simon Fraser University Library. Yeah. So there's an academic and a public component to this, and so the totally the processes around them were kind of different. Yeah, and uh, it's it's one of those things where um, so far all of my experience, all of my work experience through my degree has been in the academic sector. So mm-hmm. I'm a little bit nervous about the public library experience i'm I'm sure it's not going to be you know vastly different but um but uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to deal with with the reference questions a little bit differently well and they really expect you at vpl to learn on the job partially because most of the people who work there are still in the boat of sort of learning on the job Mm -hmm. in some ways because they changed the whole structure of their library just over Mm -hmm. a year ago so it's it's a good time to be coming in new, I think. Yeah. Um, they're pretty nimble right now. For sure. <laughs> well, I thought the way we'd uh, structure the conversation a little bit is we actually do often get requests uh, from listeners to talk more about the sort of the job hunt and what the what the job atmosphere looks like. Um, I think we should disclaimer the conversation by saying that we are in a very particular space <laughs> mm-hmm. in in Canada. I think the job market is usually a little bit more um, productive than in the States right now. Uh, yeah, or at least in our cities, I think the librarian job market is a little less oversaturated. I mean, yeah. there still are a lot of us, um, especially in cities where there is a library science program, which yeah. is the case with Vancouver. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, we are talking about our experiences in Vancouver specifically. So, yeah. you know. And, and our experiences... Um, you know, being being people who are willing to roll with the punches. Like, I, I didn't really expect to get a full-time permanent position straight out of school. Mm-hmm. That was never, um, you know, I never really thought that was a possibility. Yeah, um, I think you know, were, I tried, we were but... well prepared for that in the yeah. sense of everyone told us up front that you're going to be doing some on-call work, you're going to be cobbling together shifts from different systems for a mm-hmm. while before something permanent comes up. Yeah. Um, and not to be discouraged by that. And I think... Yeah. I appreciated the way that um, that folks around us and folks in our program were really upfront with us about that. Totally. Because when I was doing my teacher training in 2008. <laughs> Before the crash. Um, yeah. Uh, we were not told that. Yeah. We were told we were all going to get jobs and it was all going to be fine. And everything that was sort of um, all the ways that we were prepared and run through practice in terms of interviews and job hunting and whatever was all with that assumption in mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, it ended up being a really disappointing experience for a lot of people, <laughs> myself yeah. included. So, so, um, yeah. so yeah. So this is you know grains of salt taken from our perspective of um, you know uh, totally willing to cobble together part time work and also coming from our specific experience in our specific place in the world. So, mm-hmm. um, but we'd still love to share with you uh, sort of the the experiences that we've had over the last couple of months. Yeah. Um, being in in the job market and uh, being out on the active hunt. So, so what kind of hunting strategies did you use when you were looking for work? Well, I was um, I 
I took a bit of a of a buckshot approach to applications, you know. Mm. So even though I didn't really expect to get one of those full time permanent positions, um, I did apply to everything. <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of that you know? too, and it yeah. is it is really good practice. Yeah, um, and totally. it gets you off your butt. Like, yeah, if there are deadlines for these permanent positions that look good, that look like something you might want to do, even mm-hmm. if you're not quite sure you're going to get something like that out of the gate. Yeah you get to practice putting an application together with that in mind. Yeah. I was also um, very much focused on staying in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. I applied for a few jobs kind of um, out in BC. I applied for jobs at the Okanagan campus of University of British Columbia. Um, But, you know, I was trying really hard to stay here. Um, I would have branched my search further if nothing had come up. Um, I I kind of gave myself an imaginary deadline of about four months of like, okay, if, if really nothing is happening after four months, I will start applying, you know, a little bit of a broader range. And I think one of the things that you get told particularly by people outside of the profession say family members or friends or whoever Mm -hmm. is you know you should just be willing to take anything and go anywhere yeah and really one of the only really good pieces of advice I remember getting when I was a new teacher was one of the um, school district like executive secretaries or whatever that deals with the uh, applications came to speak to us and he talked about the fact that you really need to look at it holistically yeah. You need to look at what you want your life to be like mm-hmm. and your support system mm-hmm. and whatever that looks like for you, family, friends, spouse, whatever, and factor that in. Yeah. And if that means that you, you know, stay jobless a little longer because you're really focused on getting a job where you want to be, mm-hmm. that's okay to a yeah. certain extent. I mean, you might need to make that decision down the road, but if you don't want to pick up and, you know, pack your bags and move away right away, that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's something to be ashamed of. Yeah. Um, and then actually going out and finding those job postings for me, I mostly used I need a library mm-hmm. um, which is they're, they're a fantastic. really great aggregator. And um, it's run by librarians. It's which run is great. by librarians. And they they, they seemed to catch everything like um, I, I mean, I also used the uh, partnership job board, which is the, the Canadian job search yeah, uh, sort of through the Canada. Canadian Library sure Association. If there's an American equivalent to that. Uh, ALA, ALA has a job has search board. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure they do. Um, and of course, we know we'll put all of these links in our show notes uh, to, to all the job boards and stuff mm-hmm. that we used. Um, so I used I used the partnership job board and, you know, the the CLA uh, job board, um, but pretty much everything I wanted to see was showing up on I Need a Library Job. Yeah, the fact that it's run by librarians who update it on a regular basis means that they catch a lot of things that might not necessarily have the word library or librarian yeah. in them, right? But are yeah, still they appropriate. Also, yeah, they catch a lot of, uh, you know, database administrators, uh, user experience specialists, like all of the kinds of stuff that um, we get at least, you know, sideways trained for um, mm-hmm. when we're doing our degrees, they do catch. So that's where um, I was looking. Um, but I also took advantage of the local community that I have here, you know, just keeping my ear to the ground when I'm at library networking events and seeing, oh, who might have something coming up, who's posting what, and, uh, you know, just, and, and, and knowing sort of the the general times that things are coming out. Like, I knew that the Simon Fraser University, uh, the, con- the, the part-time contract positions would probably be coming out in July because mm-hmm. I spoke to a lot of people about this. So, you know, it's also just sort of making sure that you're not... 
um, you know, you're not fading into the background there, making sure that you really yeah, you keep, yourself keep, up, those conversations. keep yourself out there. And, um, and I mean, and Erin Fields, who's been on the show before, and a lot of the other librarians like her who have full-time work in the city that we've talked to, you know, we talk to those folks on a regular basis. We yeah. ask them what's going on in their institutions and mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. No. Like, you know, it's not going to make you look greedy or tacky or whatever. Yeah. It, it shows an interest. It shows yeah. that you're that you're actively looking and yeah. that's good. Where else did you look, Sam? Um, the partnership job board was a big one for me. I also uh, created an alert on Indeed.com. Okay. And that was kind of hit and miss. Mm-hmm. Um, it sent me a lot of jobs that weren't necessarily library based, but mm-hmm. had the word library in them or whatever. Um, that Lululemon job. <laughs> yeah. Lululemon um, is uh, based out of Vancouver. They were looking for a samples librarian. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. to their credit, they seem to understand what a librarian would do for them, but mm-hmm. it, uh, it wouldn't, wasn't really at my alley. Uh, <laughs> but, and uh, you know, there were some teaching jobs that came up and that kind of thing, but there were a few jobs that I ended up applying for that I did find through my indeed alert. Mm-hmm. So it definitely was worth, um, keeping an eye on. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say indeed is, is pretty useful as well. Mm-hmm. And it, it alerts cause like it'll, it'll send it to your email. email yeah. yeah. So that's, that's handy too. That's, that's one thing that, uh, I need a library job would, would really benefit from I think would be some yeah. kind of an alert system yeah just um, something about the manpower for it yeah but um but yeah so that's that's where we were mostly mm-hmm. finding the and postings I mean, checking the individual institutions too like oh like yeah you're saying most of that gets aggregated through I need a library job or through the partnership board but there are relatively few enough academic and public libraries in Vancouver that just going directly to their sites and checking on their job postings on a regular basis mm-hmm. is something that yeah totally I found useful and then when we're actually looking at those postings, like, is there anything that makes makes a posting particularly attractive to you? Like, something you expect to see, and if you see it there, you're like, yes, okay, that's that's something that I could probably... Um, I mean, I think it is smart, even at this early stage, to look for the kinds of work that you want to be doing. If you mm-hmm. know you don't have the skills or the passion to be a cataloger and mm-hmm. the entire position is just cataloging. I mean, if it's the only position out there and you're desperate for work, then okay. But it is okay to, I think, pass over some of the ones that mm-hmm. just don't fit with your particular interests. So yeah. what I was looking for was things that had a teaching component, a public mm-hmm. service component, things where I'd be working with a team yeah. of other librarians um, versus working by myself. I actually did end up with an offer fairly early on to become a school librarian at a private school in Vancouver and ended up turning it down partially because I had some other ethical issues, but <laughs> with, um, this particular school and its uh, admissions policies that I won't go into, but, um, a big part of it was that it would have just been me by myself. So I would have been yeah. a new person to this profession being expected to be the librarian in this context. Yeah. And I didn't want that. I want to keep learning and growing. I want mm-hmm. room to move up yeah. <laughs> uh, eventually. I'd like to be a manager at some point. So you know, none of those opportunities were there. And so I felt, I felt okay, especially because it was early in my yeah. search, passing on that. Yeah. One thing that um, really hit me when I was looking at postings was um, I actually, before, before we graduated, I took advantage of our school's career center. And I did take in a cover letter and resume to have them looked over by mm-hmm. someone to, um, to let me know. And it was, uh, it was mildly traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in the end really did help me a lot. Um, 
And one of the things she told me was this crazy fact that um, that made me apply for a lot more than I may have if I hadn't heard this fact. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of part of that lean in sort of thing that we're all talking about. But apparently um, I'm probably going to screw up the numbers because I'm paraphrasing. But apparently women will only apply for jobs if the if they meet 80 to 100 percent of the qualifications or the criteria yeah. that they're outlining. But men will apply if they meet 40 to 60 percent. And that um, is definitely another thing that yeah that I've got on my list to talk yeah. about is you're new yeah and job postings are not always going to be worded as entry level positions yeah but just because you feel entry level and the job is an entry level yeah still doesn't apply. mean you can't apply yeah so you know I applied for things like I think I applied for an assistant manager position mm-hmm. which is something I never would have done if I didn't know that but if I wasn't trying to you know kind of push through that barrier of like yeah, well you that's know. a really interesting statistic yeah I hope we see that change yeah definitely but, uh, but yeah it's always I mean I think that's another thing to keep in mind as well when you're assessing these postings before you apply is mm-hmm. always consider that it's not just about what they've put on paper as what they want mm-hmm. it's also about who else applies yeah it's also about you in the context of whatever pool of applicants they end up with mm-hmm. and sometimes you'll be you know closer to their qualifications than everyone else even if you don't quite get there yourself right? exactly and I think librarianship is one of those careers um, too that people don't really understand that well if like I'm talking about from the perspective of um, the pool of applicants they're going to get they're probably going to get a lot of applicants who just look at that MLIS degree necessity Mm -hmm. and think like oh I don't need that to be a librarian like there's probably going to be a lot of that too so yeah I mean I am guilty of having had that attitude before I became a librarian one of the ways I got onto my path to library school was there was a children's librarian position open in my hometown mm-hmm. and it did require an MLIS. And I thought, well, it's a small town. Maybe a teacher's good enough. And I applied and I didn't get it. But in the process of talking to the librarians there, mm-hmm. I ended up on the path I'm on now. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, definitely toss your hat in the ring if it looks like something you want to do and it's something you remotely could do or could learn to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I can't under, I can't like undervalue or overvalue enough the, um, the process of practicing yes. putting an application together, yeah. tailoring your cover letter mm-hmm. to different positions, yeah. um, coming up with your standard, you know, academic versus public versus mm-hmm. you know, school sort of cover letters. Absolutely. And the more you do that, the more comfortable you are doing sure. it. And the, the faster a process it will be as yeah. well. So let's move on to the to the applications then. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you made a really good point going to the Career Center if you're still yeah. attached to a university in some way. If your school has um, a co-op program, mm-hmm. our co-op program uh, at UBC was amazing, not just because of the opportunities that we got through them, but yeah. because they would go over your resume and cover letters. Fine tooth comb. And everything, yeah, with a yeah. fine tooth comb. And they would be quite critical. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. 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 It was really, it was, it was really, I, I say it was only mildly traumatic because, um, just the writing of resumes to me and to many others, I'm sure, is really stressful. Like I just find like the cover letter, I don't actually have that much of a problem with because I'm, you know, I'm a good writer. Oh, I can. So the opposite of that. Oh, see, I'm. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. We flip that way because. Just, yeah, the resume, because it is such a limited amount of space, I guess the cover letter is limited space too, but like there's just something about the resume that, that mm-hmm. you know, makes me makes me really nervous. And, well, and there are some things about yeah. this process of getting ready to apply for professional librarian jobs that made me look at my resume a little different as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, a lot of places 
when they're looking at your application are going to have some kind of point system they have to apply, mm -hmm. especially if they're somewhere with a union, like a lot of public yeah. libraries, or if they're a government department or whatever, they're going to have to assess you as quantitatively as possible against mm -hmm. the other applicants for like fairness sake. Yeah. And that's going to mean that certain parts of your application are worth a certain amount. I think at VPL, it's something like your resume is 20% of mm -hmm. the overall points towards your application. And so one of the early things I got told was the days of the two page resume are over now that you yeah. are in a profession. You want to make sure that everything that could possibly be even laterally applicable to this position is mm -hmm. in there. And if that means your resume is six pages long, then it's your resume six is six long. pages long. Yeah, that and was kind of a revelation to me. It's it's funny to talk about that too when when we're considering that so many of these jobs are now applied for electronically. That space really isn't an issue anymore. Yeah. Um, like I can still totally see the the one page cover letter being standard because that is something that actually has to be fully read to to be understood. Yeah, you still do want to think about the the reading time it takes on the other yeah. end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the resume, I mean, like I'm just thinking from the perspective, if I was a hiring librarian, I would, I would be interested in whatever they had done. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, yeah. one of the librarians at VPL who we've now been through interview processes <laughs> with has told me that um, she really wants to see that you can think outside the box in terms of your previous experience, especially mm -hmm. in a public library context. She yeah. wants you to take any of your previous customer service or supervision or you know management or whatever experience, and she wants to see that you understand that it's applicable to the job that you're applying for. For sure. Um, so she actually likes to see those sort of varied backgrounds mm -hmm. on a resume. And that's where the design of it comes in handy, right? I mean, that's where you can sort of bold certain things and use bullet points and use white space so that it's easier for them to scan yeah. and pick out those things that they want to see. Definitely. And that's something that your career center or a job search agency mm -hmm. or a co-op board or whatever will, will definitely help you out with. You know, and even look to your public library. Mm -hmm. um, a lot yeah, of them, librarians, you know. a lot of the librarians, um, and even if you're not comfortable, you know, like actually going and talking to a librarian, a lot of them will have things like resume workshops. Um, you know, job job hunting in public libraries is one of those yeah, things that you're that's, a patron as well. And you're if a you patron. Do live in a, an area with a library system of any size, they're going to be offering things like that. Yeah. So, so you know, take advantage of that and um, yeah, all all advice is is welcome. Try not to take it too personally, which is what happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so how long? Like, if you're putting together an application for a job, how long do you think you spend on it? Um, now that I have a sort of master file of my resume that has everything in it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just take that file and edit it for particular jobs. It doesn't take me very long. It takes me maybe two or three hours to, to tailor my resume to the job mm -hmm. and maybe another couple of hours um, for the cover letter. And that's also yeah. because I've now written enough cover letters that yeah. I know I can take piece, bits and pieces totally and tailor them properly. Um, I cannot stress enough the importance of, making sure that you name all your files correctly and yes. making sure that you double and triple check that you're addressing it to the correct librarian at the correct institution mm -hmm. if you're reusing parts of different cover letters. But yeah. that can be um, really, really useful. I haven't written a cover letter from scratch since April. Yeah, I mean, uh, And so it was a lot of time up front, which mm -hmm. is good because when you're when you're on the job hunt at first, that's when you have the most time because you're not yeah. working. Um, and it's good to, you know, bury those feelings of anxiety and the hard work. <laughs> but yeah, but then you can sort of lean on the work that you've done and yeah. that's perfectly fine. I'd say that's pretty much exactly the same for me. Yeah. A couple, couple hours for the resume tailoring, a couple hours for, um, for a cover letter. That's, 
pretty much perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then, I mean, send it in the way they want it sent in. Yes. As much as it's so freaking annoying when they want you to, like, take apart your resume oh. and put it in the little electronic <laughs> boxes on there, you know. I hate that so much. Yeah, and especially, you'll see that a lot when a position is attached to a, city. a municipality. Yeah. yeah. Like a city government, they'll have sort of a central HR and they'll want to scan your resume and pull out the parts of it and put it into their own categories. Mm-hmm. And that's a, you know, it's a manpower issue, right? But yeah, yeah it's a pain, but, um, but that can be a really easy and kind of crappy, I agree, but easy way for them to weed out applications. Yeah. If you don't true. send it in, in the proper format. Right. So mm-hmm. show that you're capable of taking that direction. <laughs> even if It takes you a little longer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and have your references lined up pretty early I would say I mean a lot of them don't ask for them until the interview has been my Mm -hmm. experience but there have been a couple I think the SFU one did ask for them up front yeah and and do yeah always make sure that your references know that they may be contacted Mm -hmm. Um, I mean sending them an email takes three minutes just to say hey just so you know I'm applying for this job Mm -hmm. Um, I mean ask permission say would you mind if I put you up for uh, for a reference I have never had anybody Actually, that's a lie. I've only had one person say no to a reference, but that's because they were not going to be physically available. Um, <laughs> it wasn't that they didn't. Pretty good reason. It wasn't that they didn't want to. It's just that it was not going to be possible at yeah. that point. Um, um, if you can use librarians as your yes. references, because they'll understand how what you've done is applicable to a librarian job. Mm-hmm. Um, but. If you need to use people from other venues, that's okay too. Yeah. Um, just, you know, pick the people with the most detailed knowledge of what you've done, who've seen you work, who've worked with you. For sure. Who've seen you do some of the things you're claiming to have done, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and yeah, I mean, emailing them and giving them a heads up is another opportunity to thank them mm-hmm. for, you know, everything they've done for you and also um, to sort of gently remind them about some of the work that you did with them. If it's yeah. been a little while, don't don't stress about that. Don't think, well, mm-hmm. I haven't talked to this person in six months. They're not going to remember who I am. Mm-hmm. Gently remind them in the course of the email, ask them if they want a copy of your resume, which they often yeah. will. Um, or, or even sometimes they'll ask for copies of the job posting. So yeah. like if it's something like an online posting that you know is going to go away, I actually usually recommend copy pasting the text into a word doc. Um, mm-hmm. just yeah. in, cause a lot of times they will ask for the, for the job posting just to be able to, to, to be able to cater what they know of your skills to what yeah, yeah, they people may ask specifically, right? Because yeah. they want to, they want to help you. Yeah. I mean, if they're the kind of people who've taken the time to supervise and mentor you in the past, and that's why you're thinking of them as references, then they're going to want to continue to spend some time on helping you. So offer a copy of your resume, offer any other information they need. If mm-hmm. they want to talk to you about it up front, you know, that's fine. And I always make a point of, um, if, if I'm leaving a job, um, I always make a point of writing out handwritten thank you notes. Mm-hmm. That way you'll stay a little bit fresher in their mind. They'll know kind of, oh, this person was really grateful for the work they did. And, you know, thank you, thank you notes. That was, that's been something that's been drilled into me by my mother since time immemorial is yeah. always send thank you notes. Always, always. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, before, you know, you know, thank them when you've left the job, thank them when you ask for the reference. And then of course, yeah, thank yeah, them. If you get the after. job, even yeah. if you don't get the even job, even if you don't get the job, sure thank them. them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess if you get to the point where you're hunting in your application and your references have indeed gotten you an offer of an interview, Yay. that can be super duper nerve wracking oh as well. 
I saw a great thing on Tumblr that like it was a GIF response to that. It was like I got an interview and it was someone dancing, and then it was like, and then I realized that I have to give an interview, and it was like someone having a panic attack. So <laughs> that, that's exactly how it feels. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. And the nice thing about the nice and nerve wracking thing about these interviews is that because they often involve a presentation component mm-hmm. uh, at the level where you're sort of looking at a professional librarian position, uh, they'll give you a bit of time like they're not going to say you know the interview is in two days they're going to give you at least a week they'll give you a weekend in between they'll Mm -hmm. understand that you're working or whatever and uh and you'll have a little time (laughs) to both hyperventilate and to put together your shit uh so what was that process like for you sort of getting ready for your interviews because um, you had two interviews recently yep. for both of these jobs that we're talking about, yep. um, and they both involved inter- um, they presentations. Both involved right? presentations, yeah. So, um, I think the first thing I did was um, it, it took me way longer to prepare for the interview than preparing the application, um, which yeah. is completely necessary. Um, and these were both presentations that I kind of had to build from the ground up. I'd never given presentations on either of these particular topics, mm-hmm. and. Um, so the first thing I did really was just scour their websites, read, like basically if they have a site map, just go through it, um, yeah, read everything you can about, um, about the website. If this is something I did for my SFU presentation because I was able to find a PowerPoint template online that they use when they give presentations. A lot of institutions will have set templates that you're supposed to use when you're giving presentations mm-hmm. under the banner of that um, institution. Um, so for SFU, I was actually able to find their oh, template nice. online. So I when I did... I put their logo in the corner of mine. Yeah, that's see, I actually used their, their, <laughs> their template. <laughs> I couldn't find one for VPL, so um, I did use the logo. So the way that I pre- prepped for the presentations was like, I pretended like I already had that job yeah, and I was already giving this presentation. I'm, I'm very good at role play. I'm a drama kid. So like <laughs> I was very like, it, it's no problem for me to put myself in the place. Well, and that's a really good point because yeah. they, they're asking you to give these presentations because they want to see what you'd be like in this role. Right. Exactly. So for VPL, it was, um, choose, choose a section of the community yeah. and figure out how you would sort of create an outreach program for that section yeah. of the community. It was uh, the kind of the theme of the of the presentation was bringing the library to non-traditional library spaces. Mm-hmm. So uh, I gave a presentation on Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and how I think the library should reach out to the local gaming community um, by getting the library where they are. So, you know, bringing bringing library people out to the board game shops, to the nerd bars where people play, um, you know, going to the, to the, to the message boards that they have, the local mm-hmm. gaming message boards and um, creating interest. And then from that interest and getting those people into the community, um, then, you know, creating programming for the library around that community. Yeah, absolutely. And tying um, that back to, yeah, the other things that the library can yeah. offer, right? And so the things that I would say for those presentations is um, get statistics whenever you can. Mm-hmm. Um, Pew Research, like the, the Pew Studies are a great place to start. Yeah, because in your case, you were targeting millennials. Yep. Uh, when I did the same presentation a little while ago to get onto the same ox list, I did... Um, seniors who have like limited mobility and can't make it to the library and so mm-hmm. bringing digital literacy to them and so it was the same thing you need those numbers yeah about the changing nature of these demographics mm-hmm. about how they use technology how they use the library yeah um and again really putting yourself in the headspace of 
I am part of this institution. I am doing a thing that's connected to this institution's mission. How would I present that? Right. Yeah. Rather than focusing more on showcasing yourself, I guess. Yeah. Show definitely. What you can pull out of their mission. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah with with the interview with with applications with anything you're trying to tell the institution what you are going to bring to them, um, not what they can do for you. Mm-hmm. So like. Yeah, so like pretend you've already pretend you're already there. Yeah, pretend. That's very smart. Yeah, and in the case of the um, the second presentation, which we both gave pretty recently, the mm-hmm. SFU one, uh, it was very much the same kind of situation. It was you are. I'm assuming we got the same question. The psych class, right? Yep. Yeah, it's so psych one hundred first year psych class, and you have ten minutes to talk to them about the, using the library for their research. And yep. so again, you really needed to put yourself in the headspace of. I am talking to real students. They have mm-hmm. real problems and real time constraints. Yeah. And what parts of the library do I want to make sure they know about? Yeah. And again, scouring the website was super useful for yeah. that. So for that presentation, I focused on um, research guides mm-hmm. because that's something. And also the message, because uh, 10 minutes ten minutes is a remarkably short period of time. Yeah. Like you do not know how fast 10 minutes is until you've created <laughs> like a 10 slide presentation. And you're like, so that took 48 minutes. Uh, <laughs> So um, for that one, yeah, and then the message that the library is approachable, that the library is there to help, that we are yeah. there for you. Yeah. So Absolutely. those were like, in a 10-minute period, I was like, I can probably get two messages into these kids' heads, mm-hmm. and that's the messages I wanted to get. So, Yeah, I think we went yeah. to very similar places with that one. Mm-hmm. And, that's, um, and that shows some awareness, too, of the kinds of audiences you're going to be working with, because yeah. library work, no matter what kind of library you're in, is service work. And so you want to think about those user populations mm-hmm. and what they're actually going to get out of what you're yeah. doing. And and you're right. Yeah. 10 minutes is not a lot. They're not <laughs> going to remember the details. What they'll remember is that you were a cool librarian who like used gifts in your presentation or whatever. <laughs> I did that. And um, I did and a live you, demo. You made the the library seem like a place that they could go for help. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so I guess in terms of if you I, I, I think you and I are both lucky since you've taught and I've done drama we both have no problem talking in front of people. Um, we do a podcast, so <laughs> clearly, you know, we we're already pretty to full an of audience. our own, yeah. Yeah, yeah, voices. Yeah, not a problem. But like, there are a lot of people that do have have real public speaking mm-hmm. fears, and just from you know trying to put myself in those shoes, yeah. um, I do not recommend reading off cards because that's just going to be disaster no, if at all possible give yourself broad speaking points yeah. that you know well mm-hmm. and just sort of yeah i don't want to say wing it but don't talk it, about but, specific yeah. areas mm-hmm. in your own voice addressing yeah. the, the the listeners directly but i think also um before that mm-hmm. these are the reasons why these kinds of situations they make us do so many presentations in library school yeah i've heard this from people in other library schools than ours i think it's a pretty mm-hmm. common practice and this is part of why no matter what type of librarian you end up as or library technician or whatever you're going to be standing up in front of people yeah and talking to them about yeah. something at some point whether it's your library board or your colleagues or patrons mm-hmm. or whatever so if you're still in library school mm-hmm. Take advantage of those opportunities. Present as much as you Be the person can. who talks the most in your group, yep. even if it's really, really scary. Because, yeah. you know, doing it in a low-stress environment like the classroom mm-hmm. can make it easier later on. And I'm just going to jump up on my soapbox for a minute mm-hmm. um, about presentations because if you want it, if, you're, if, you're, if you really, really have problems with it, my recommendation, take an improv comedy class. Yeah. Um, because 
especially in the classroom environment, it's going to be really low stakes. You don't actually have to be that funny. Improv rarely is. Um, but it's going to get you more comfortable with thinking on your feet mm-hmm. when you're standing up in front of an that audience. Sort of conversational style. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So um, do that if you're really afraid of improv comedy. Uh, do something like Toastmasters. Um, like I, this is this is just kind of my my little soapbox. Is I think that everyone should be forced to do drama in their life because <laughs> um, I think that it is yeah, one of talk, the best skills. We talk so much about everybody. You know, every if you can walk, you can dance, and if you can talk, yeah. you can sing. But the it's the public component of it yeah. that I think bothers a lot of people. And so yeah, if you can get yourself in front of the crowd in lower stress situations before mm-hmm. this one, that'll help a lot. Yeah, and practice if practice the presentation. It's you've got to hit this weird balance of practicing it enough that you feel confident but not so much that you're going to be a robot about it yeah you know so practice it enough but then you know take take some time away from it too um so and they want you get to off my succeed no one's yeah. gonna you know no one's gonna interrupt you <laughs> yeah my experience anyway no one's gonna critique the way that you did the presentation mm-hmm. they want to see it and then they're going to launch into the interview portion yeah uh and so maybe we should talk a bit about how that went for us as sure. well definitely so the thing i really noticed about both of these interviews especially the academic library one mm-hmm. is that they were so deeply scenario based yeah there were Tons so many of scenario you're questions on the reference desk and this is happening yes what do you do kind yeah. of questions so if you yeah. can find examples of those questions and hiring librarians is a great place to go for that um definitely practice those so um at at our co-op they did practice a lot of those questions with us and as cheesy as it is um oh so no this is for a different kind of question (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking this is not a scenario question the one this is a tell me about a time when question Uh, well i mean it's we'll talk about those situation but for the scenario questions um the thing that struck me about some of them is they were very like Kobayashi Maru type situations (laughs) to be super nerdy about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there was a lot of sort of uh, patron comes to the desk and they're really angry because they have late fees for for something they don't think they should have late fees for. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like a, there's no magical answer you can pull out of your butt that's going to make the patrons super happy right away and make everything magical and nice. They just want to know how you would handle that. What Mm -hmm. would you do? What would you say? What kind of attitude would you have? Um, what would you do to kind of diffuse that or just to mm-hmm. get through it while still representing the library professionally? Yeah, totally. Uh, take the person's information, let them get it out of their system. Yeah. Repeat it, back to them yeah. what they're saying and, and empathizing and saying, I know that it's frustrating when this happens and like explain, like kind of speak back to them. Mm-hmm. This is, this is my strategy. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, it sounds like we probably <laughs> had similar ones. I mean, my big one and I've been doing this since I was in retail because I always found it really super yeah. helpful is, Take their number and say you will get back yeah. to them. Don't yeah. place any more responsibility on them for no. solving this the problem. And that's really not, you know, they want to understand how you would handle that, how you would represent the library in that situation. They mm-hmm. don't want you to have a magical answer. There is yeah. no, like, there is no winning <laughs> that yeah. scenario. Right? Totally. Um, but yeah, the tell me about a time when questions were definitely pretty yeah. dominant as well. So yeah. you wanted to say something about those. Yes. Um, we actually were given an acronym for helping us get those questions. Uh, and as cheesy right. as it... Like the star Yeah, thing? as cheesy as it is, it actually, I find, really helps because mm-hmm. it allows you to tell a fully rounded story. Um, so the STAR acronym is... There's actually two R's, but I can never remember what the second R is. Go through it and I'll see okay. if I can remember. Okay. <laughs> so the first one is is situation. So it's the tell me about a time when. So really kind of 
give give yourself a minute to actually outline exactly what was happening mm-hmm. when this occurred, what you were doing, where you were. Um, this the T is task. So like this was the task that you were set out to do. Um, the A is the actions that you took mm-hmm. to complete that task, and then the R is um, the was it like repercussions or no? Um, I think it was results. It's something oh, like how results, it, yeah, sort of, it yeah, results what like happens. what actually? So yeah. what were the what were the outcomes? What were the results of the actions that you took? Yeah. So because um, sometimes I, f- I feel like with with interviews um, you can get a little rambly. And I find that like as cheesy, like I hated them in the beginning, but then when I started practicing them, they started to make more sense to me um, with this, with this one in particular, because I feel like, especially when you've got the the situation, like you can be like, oh, well I was doing this and then blah, 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 blah. And I hated my boss or well, you would never say that in an interview, <laughs> but like, you know, like, oh, this person was difficult and they were difficult for this reason. But like, you know, it really helps you kind of set it down, be like, okay, so this was the situation. This is what I did. Like, this was what I was supposed to do. This is what I did. This is what happened because of it. So, yeah. So, yeah, I'm just looking it up, and those are, those are in fact, there is no second R in some oh, okay. of the ones that I'm looking at here. Never mind then. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, you know, just keeping in mind that, um, you know, to really kind of try to round out the story of those tell me about a time when questions. Yeah, and to also, yeah, like you're saying, make sure you keep yourself on point. Like you want to yeah. give them some context, but you don't want to ramble. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I think that can be, you don't have to, you know, follow it exactly. You don't have to have, you know, memorize exactly what STAR stands for. But yeah. um, it is important to to stay focused on the question. And I mean, mm-hmm. that said, if you need to ask them to repeat the question, Absolutely. if you get into your anecdote and then you're like, oh, I want to make sure that I'm really connecting this to the yeah. question especially if it's those two or three part questions, be like, did I answer every part of that question yeah, for you? Yeah, I've asked that before. And oh, I do always, yeah. I think they appreciate that. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they, again, they want to see you succeed. They yeah. brought you this far. They yeah. see something in your application, in your resume. Um, I had, and it, I think that that STAR um, method can really help you make sure that you answer the entire question. Yes. Uh, yeah. And sometimes interviewers are really good at asking follow-up questions. There was one librarian mm-hmm. in particular in the SFU inter- interview and I was so happy he yeah. was there He was great. <laughs> because he asked a lot of like follow-up questions that were designed to give you another moment to add yeah. some more detail, but they're not always going to do that. So if you can mm-hmm. include all of that detail up front in your initial answer, mm-hmm. then that's fine. And speaking of moments, do not be afraid of dead space um, in yeah. the interview. That's one thing that, that I've always tried to do because um, it's one of these things where if you're sitting there silently, the time is going to pass much more slowly for you. Like you're going to think, oh my God, I've been quiet for like three minutes. Yeah. But really you've actually only been quiet for about 10 seconds, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, taking, listening to the question, I actually usually have my notebook down in front of me so I can jot down the elements of the question as they're going. Um, That's a good idea. But like taking a second and like taking a breath, taking two deep breaths to be like, Okay. Mm-hmm. This is how I'm going to answer that question. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really easy to just launch in because you have all these anecdotes that you've been practicing at your fingertips and you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, this one matches up well with this question. But take that moment to collect yourself, to think about the question that was just asked. And even if you're just taking that moment for show, which Mm -hmm. I sometimes do, that's important because I have gotten feedback in the past that I launch in too quickly to answering questions. So they want to see me take a moment to take the question in to really think about it, to focus. And so that's that's fine. And like you say, Mm -hmm. it feels a lot shorter to everyone else than it does to you. Um, And if you're worried about places to look, I find looking up 
or even looking kind of slightly down at the table just to collect your thought. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then once you're actually answering the question, making sure that you're keeping eye contact with, oftentimes you're going to be with a panel. I was just going to say yeah. that's probably a good place for us to talk about that. Nice. So um, one of the portions of this that can be kind of intimidating is that you're talking to at least a couple of people. I yeah. think at VPL it was two, two. and at SFU it was four. four. That was which a huge is, panel. You know, I think I might have had five for one of my co-op interviews last oh my year, God. which was insane. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, four, four is probably going to be the most that you'll yeah. see. And in this case, they were all librarians um, mm-hmm. and one of them was the psychology liaison librarian and, and we our were presentation, giving a presentation was about out, yeah. psychology so that was a little intimidating mm-hmm. but um, yeah make sure that you're making eye contact with everyone uh, mm-hmm. they'll usually take turns asking the questions yeah. so if you want to primarily address the person who's asked the question that's fine that gives you something to focus mm-hmm. on but you know do you sort of occasionally make eye contact with mm-hmm. each of the people around the table and they'll often be taking notes on on whatever you're saying. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times they'll be kind of, their eyes will be darting from their paper to you to the paper to you. So like take that advantage of when you catch someone's eye, hold it for a second mm-hmm. before you move on. Like, yeah. yeah. And also um, the fact that they're writing so much down is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. don't, don't be intimidated that. by don't that. Don't be intimidated by that. Like if they're just sitting there, you know, staring at the ceiling, then you have a problem. But yeah. if they're writing a lot of notes, that's good. They want to remember what they're seeing in you, mm-hmm. right? Perfect. So they can advocate for you later. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, and I mean, I guess... You know, make sure that you bring water with you. They'll usually mm-hmm. have water for you, but it's yep. always a good idea to have that. Make sure you bring a pen and paper. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you don't take documents with you that you're not supposed to, because I know at VPL yeah. they give you the sheet of questions and you're not supposed to take that with you. So, you know, mm. make sure when you're gathering your stuff, you don't, you don't steal anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and afterwards, make sure that you follow up. Make sure that within yeah. the next, you know, 24 hours, you send some kind of a thank you note. The last thing I wanted to mention, though, when you're actually in the interview, is yeah. the last thing they ask you will always be, "Do you have questions for Thank us?" Thank you. Yes, we should talk and about that before we go. And your answer will always be, "Yes, I do." <laughs> yeah, always yeah. come armed with like at least three questions yeah. that you want to ask. And you know, they can be there. There are so many articles on like Lifehacker about like what questions to ask in an interview, and a lot of times those are those are really great. You know, so you can ask them what what does. If it's a panel of four, this is a hard question to pull off. But um, it's what do you like about working here? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's your favorite thing about working here? So with a panel of four, I, d- I didn't do that question because that's that's a big one. But um, also, if you ask really detailed questions about the job duties, um, that can be yeah. really that's like that's a strategy I usually and go for. And that's also a place to reemphasize the parts of the job that you're most interested in. Totally. So this SFU job is mostly a reference position, but there mm-hmm. will be some instruction. And I love doing instruction. So my question was about, you know, how much instruction, what types of, you know, instructional roles might be part of this? Are we also going to be part of, you know, the research commons and the learning commons, mm-hmm. which were things I'd read about on the SFU website. Totally. So yeah, their research commons are awesome. Um, and I, because I'm really interested in digital projects, digitization and data management, I asked questions about the opportunities there. And mm-hmm. they said, it was one of these things where it's rare, but it does happen. And now that they know that I'm interested in that, if something comes up that's in that area, guess who they're going to tag? Yeah, that's great. So, and yeah, and sort of have, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed is that with this shift to sort of interviewee controlled interviews, I mean, I think a lot of places are still in the process of that shift, but I've read several articles now about 
the fact that interviewees are expected to take more control of the process now. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've seen happen a few times is they'll ask you if there's anything else you wanted to talk about that they didn't get around to. And so it's a good idea to have something under your belt for that. Have a project you worked on that you're really proud of that fits Mm -hmm. in with the job position or an interest that you have that you think would be, you know, applicable in some way. So I've talked about the um, the faculty information literacy toolkit on here before, and because that was applicable, I made sure that I brought that up again at the yeah. end and talked about the project in more detail. Yeah, for me, I talked about the public knowledge project, which is a subsection of the SFU library that um, does does open scholarly communication efforts. Um, so if you've ever used open journal systems, if you've ever used OJS. That's from SFU, um, from the PKP. So, um, or Open Monograph Press. They're doing an open conference system now. So I made sure to talk about how I really appreciated, you know, that that thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, have a have a thing that you want to make sure you talk about, and if it doesn't get talked about, bring it in at the end. Yeah, and uh, yeah, have those questions. And it's okay to ask the you know the standard pedestrian questions of when are you going to get back to me about this? Yeah. And you know, what's the what's the salary going to be like and that kind of stuff. See, I've been told never discuss yeah. the salary during the interview. Mm. That's I don't think I've ever actually done it. But yeah. I've seen it in some lists of those questions. So yeah. Cause you, you gotta be kind of careful with that one. Cause yeah. that what I've heard about asking the, the salary question in the interview is you're being kind of presumptuous about, about your prospects. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I have never done it, so <laughs> because I can't speak to it, maybe it's a good one to avoid. But yeah, maybe. definitely asking about what the timeline is going to be like, when you can expect to hear back, yeah. when your references can expect a call, so that yeah. you can give them a heads up. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, interviews, I actually kind of enjoy them. <laughs> You're a freak. I, I think they're kind of fun. <laughs> I just like talking to people. <laughs> like the actual, once I'm in the room and we're talking yeah. about the job and the scenarios and whatever... That part is enjoyable because I like being a librarian, mm-hmm. but the whole stuff around it, the deciding oh, yeah. what to wear and, oh. the, you know, and the trip to I, and from. I am at least four outfits per interview. Mm-hmm. Try like, like this is like the try like eight. I'll lay out eight on my bed. I'll try on four <laughs> before I usually decide. And that's on the something right we one. haven't really talked about here in part because, you know, you're all smart people. Um, <laughs> and yeah. really libraries I think in general and then especially libraries on the west coast where we are are not super duper formal places you want to wear your most formal outfit to an interview Mm -hmm. but chances are you're going to be better dressed than the interviewers are yeah. right and once you start working at that library things will probably relax but now we can't definitely wear a blazer definitely don't wear jeans we can't speak to corporate libraries yeah because those true. are probably a little bit more formal yeah but um in, in my when experience in doubt, yeah. call and ask yeah right? I call mean, and you're ask taking an interest they're gonna like to see that yeah for sure uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, you use your common sense. Yeah. Pantyhose or no pantyhose, it's entirely up to you. <laughs> <laughs> Who wears pantyhose anymore? Um, and then, yeah, of course, we've mentioned it quickly, but always send thank you notes a day or two yeah. after. Um, make sure email that you... Email is great. Um, Take a moment to find the emails of the people who actually interviewed you yep. uh, versus just, you know, sending it to a secretary or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say also make sure to reiterate both your interest and a, maybe a couple of your qualifications. Don't write mm-hmm. them a giant paragraph, but do, again, say how well suited you think you are to the position. And also you can if, if there was something that they said that you really attached onto in the interview when you were asking the questions, like you can repeat that back to them and be like, I really loved when we were talking about this and I I really think that that would be a 
you know, I'm, I'm really interested in pursuing that. So, uh, and one last thing I would add, I think, is that even if you don't end up getting the position, uh, we've been lucky enough that these last couple of interviews we've had have been successful, but that hasn't always been the case. Mm-hmm. And what I always try to do is call and ask for feedback. Yes. Ask if somebody will talk to you about what it was that didn't quite put you over the top mm-hmm. so that you can continue to improve. And almost all librarians will be very happy to do that with you. Yeah. And again, don't like don't take it too personally. Mm-hmm. It's it's meant to be constructive. So yeah, absolutely. So I guess we've been successful, and these are tips, you know, from us in particular. Um, but we want to hear from you. We definitely do. <laughs> so if you have uh, tips or strategies that we didn't mention, um, things that have worked out really well for you in the past, um, if you're a hiring librarian and you want to get in touch with us about what you expect to see um, in interviews that, that we, because that's that's a yeah, perspective I've never had before. if you want to some things we've said, if you want to contradict some things we've Please, said, by all means, I love being contradicted. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, let us know. That would be that would be super cool. Mm-hmm. Well, that's enough of that. <laughs> that was uh, slightly longer than we anticipated, but yeah. I think we got a lot of good detail in there. So yeah. that's good. I mean, I think that's, that's, I feel like that's a pretty good portrait of what my experience has been like. So totally. I hope that helps people who are going through the same yeah. stressful process. Just keep on keeping on BBs. Yeah. It'll all we work will out. All get there. It really is a big chunk of it is just a matter of perseverance mm-hmm. and like positive attitude. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the first thing we have for the sort of uh, when we're saying goodbye this week is we have a correction. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about Monty Python last week and um, between the three of us, we could not remember how Graham Chapman died. And we were fairly certain that he had died of AIDS, which having been a gay man who died in the 80s, I can totally see why we sort of pulled that guess out of the air. But uh, but that is, in fact, not accurate. So we we wanted to uh, to correct that that he died in '89 of cancer of a couple of pretty brutal sounding kinds of cancer by the by the mm. sounds of it, uh, and was eulogized by his fellow pythons in Python style. Um, mm-hmm. If you have a moment, look up John Cleese's eulogy for Graham Chapman. It yeah. really is. Um, yeah, it'll make you laugh and cry yeah. all at the same time. So, yeah. Uh, um, I guess in the social media verse, we're mm-hmm. just continuing our slow uptick on Twitter. We're on almost at 550. Yeah, so that's uh, really we great. slash I hit 400 on Tumblr this week. So that's yeah. awesome. So welcome aboard um, new folks who may be uh, listening to this as your first episode of SS Librarianship. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, oh, and we got yeah. actually a couple of really cute tweets from uh, from our good, good friend, Mary. <laughs> Always. Uh, after last week's episode, she was talking about the fact that her mom sent her to Dragon Con as a younger, I guess, teenager, partially because she wanted her to understand that, like, actors and writers and whoever were real people. Yeah. And so in light of our conversation about fandom last week and how uncomfortable the whole meeting your heroes aspect mm-hmm. of it is, I thought that was really interesting. I bet that's part of where Mary's uh, outgoing can-do attitude comes <laughs> from. <laughs> Definitely. We also got a great thank you tweet from uh, from Gabriella, who asked us that question um, about a library school a couple of weeks ago um she subsequently ordered a button and uh then just tweeted us to let us know that it had come and she was very excited um speaking of which if you want that kind of excitement in your life you should buy buttons (laughs) they're just they're like little happiness machines that's true that's what they are we've Mm -hmm. put the ai in there for that but i'm kidding there's no ai in our buttons (laughs) 
Um, sorry. Um, but no, you can definitely please go uh, go check out a button. Um, buy a button. Um, if the buttons are too cheap for you, please donate to the SS Librarianship podcast. Mm -hmm. And you can do that all from our website at Mm sslibrarianship.com. And uh, yeah, there you can find out more about us. You can find previous episodes of the show and descriptions of them. And of course, you can always find all of those on iTunes or Podkicker or Stitcher or however you get your podcasts into your head. Yeah, so I guess that's it for us. Oh, wait, no. Well, all that's left... There you is go. Is to thank Jonathan Colton for the use Sorry, of our theme song, Glasses, off the album Artificial Heart. Jump the gun. Uh, and it looks like our trip to Harry Potter World is happening. I'm so, so mad sorry, at you right Allie. now. I'm so <laughs> angry at you right now. You'll just have to look at the gift shop online and pick out some cool shit. Okay, we'll do. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, I guess now we're finished for this week. Uh, so thank you all again for listening. Good luck on your job hunts, if that is indeed what you're doing. And as always, we will catch you on the proverbial flip side. Say I to start. There goes a day, say I